We're the Pragmatic Doulas. This is a podcast where we talk all about birth and other interesting things. Birth may be a goddess, but she doesn't want to be worshipped. She wants to be respected. She doesn't want incense. She wants common sense. Yeah, got it. All right. We're on. We're here today. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Hey. Hey. <laughs> Who's here? Um, I'm Suzanne, and this is the Pragmatic Doula's podcast. And we have some special guests today. But we also have Me. Stephanie Alouche. Are you there? I am here. I am here. And I'm hiding in my daughter's room. Over now, there Kim. on the ones and twos. Um, Kim's not here. She's Kim missing here. today. Kim is yeah. erranding. She is adulting. <laughs> Come over and do some of that for me. So we <laughs> wish her happy, happy errand day. So we will miss her. And all I had to do was press the record button and it already feels like I'm not doing it right. So please forgive technical difficulties on this episode. And we have guests today. We who's, do. Who's, uh, who have you got here with us? Shout yourselves out. First, we've got over there. Quickly, just like give us uh, a blur. Debbie. Over here. <laughs> so alphabetically. Alphabetically. Go, Debbie, go. Oh, Debbie. <laughs> I had to think of the alphabet. Debbie, uh, longtime listener, first time appearance. No, I'm just going. No. Second time appearance, actually. Good You're time. a veteran at this. Yes. yes. And who else and do we have? We have Tanisha, longtime fan, super fan, second time guest. Grateful to be here. I love it. Excellent. We're so glad that you guys are here. We're going to be uh, talking all things OBDS, and you'll find out what that all means in a little while. Um, <clears throat> before we get started, I would like to read our land acknowledgement. And let me find it first. I got to draw that up for us. And let me see. Forgive voices very, in the background. Today's a very important day. A couple of us. That is here in Canada. Yeah. Uh, this was the closest shirt color to orange that I had, but I am wearing it in honor today of Truth and Reconciliation Day, which is um, a, statu- a statutory holiday for most provinces, for most places in Canada, unfortunately not Ontario, our province, um, to recognize all the hard work that Indigenous people have done to bring the truth of their experiences and the history of this country to the public forefront. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but first, let me um, do our basic land acknowledgement that we do at each of our um, at each of the, at the beginning of each of our episodes. Okay, so we all of us here, the Pragmatic Doulas and the Ontario Black Doulas Society, of which Debbie and myself and Tanisha are a part, we all um, continuously acknowledge that we do this work, our birth work, live our lives, raise our families on the traditional territory, the traditional and unceded territory of many nations. And those include the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people. And that this land is still home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people. 
So that's our basic land acknowledgement that we do at the beginning of every episode. But as today is the um, first official Truth and Reconciliation Day, we thought we would spend a few minutes talking about what that means. And for most people in Canada, most of our listeners who are Canadian, you've been hearing about this. You've been hearing about the, um, the discovery of graves in the residential schools gathered all across the country and, and the atrocities that we've been hearing. Some of you, for the, some of us, for the first time. But what we need to understand is that, first of all, this knowledge has been held by Indigenous people for a very long time. And the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was brought to reality to explore these issues and to come up with ways to make amends, to, to reconcile what has been done in the past and to address the realities of Indigenous people today. So uh, if anybody else wants to say anything, please, please do. The floor is yours. I was thinking about, oh, sorry, Tanisha, go ahead. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, I am, um, like many of us have a, a special personal connection with, with this, this, I don't want to say movement, but conscious reawakening for a lot of the world and Canadians. Um, I actually, in a previous life, worked as a, um, a facilitator for youth and had the opportunity to go to Kamloops in BC several years ago and was invited on to the residential school there. And I remember speaking with the students at who were there and the staff and the elders and this was again years and years ago and they told myself and my coworker that they knew that there were unmarked graves. They knew that there was some kind of negative energy around the residential school and they even took us into like the basement of the school and like people who were survivors wouldn't go there because they just had all these negative memories and just like, I don't know if it was like a spiritual energy but it was very heavy. And I, we went there and we felt it and they had told us again that they had these unmarked graves but they couldn't prove it seven years later, five or six years later, it's now coming to the forefront. And I remember finding out and following the Tecumlumps group on Facebook and this coming out and being like, wow, like it finally has come out. They finally have listened to their survivors, the, the families and everything. And as, as sad and as difficult as it is to process, um, I think that it's really allowing a lot of healing to come to the forefront for a lot of these communities. So, um, you know, whatever you can do to learn more, whatever you can do to donate and actually connect with Indigenous communities directly. You know, a lot of communities are not wanting you to because of COVID and also just to respect their boundaries, but whatever you can do is 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 something and something is a start. Absolutely, something is a start. And you can start in your own community by going to your local MP, by going to your local government, finding out what they are doing to ensure that your monies, your tax dollars, are going to continue to fund all of these things. These need to be federal dollars. They need to be Ontario dollars. They need to be all dollars going to ensure that there's funding to continue searching because we're currently at 6,509 bodies, children discovered, and there's more. We're not done. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't tap out at this point. We shouldn't stop funding this. We shouldn't ignore this. We we should absolutely continue this energy, continue this, it's required, it is required. There are people missing, you find them. It's what you do 
you know, it's what we do. And we have, I keep thinking we have this chance to do the right thing. And by, by saying we, I mean, as colonizers, we now have the chance to do the right thing that has never been done before. And that is the right thing. The right thing is to keep looking, mm-hmm. you know, the right thing is to keep looking. But I see, um, go ahead, Sue. There's been, obviously in the last few months, the huge amount of attention has been um, uh, shown to the situation with residential schools as appropriate, that's appropriate. We also need to remember too that Indigenous communities across Canada face many other current and present problems, some of them linked to the residential school issue and some of them not. The issues that are being faced in the Indigenous communities all need to be addressed, like drinking water is another one that we all know about, and uh, rates of suicide among youth, missing and murdered Indigenous um, women and girls, those sorts of things, uh, relations with RCMP, and um, all sorts of lack in the Indigenous community. And um, there also needs to be a recognition, which was clearly brought to me when we went on the uh, July 1st um, march that the indigenous peoples of this country have a spirit full of absolute like resilience and strength and and joy and beauty and we need to always keep that in the forefront too I always get worried that we're going to get sunk so much into the sorrow and the horror of it all that we forget that these are real people with a culture that is alive and thriving and it is there and people are healing and finding themselves and finding their places. And that is what I want to support. The Truth and Reconciliation um, Report is publicly accessible. So anybody and everybody can access that report. And there are 93 calls to action, calls for federal governments, provincial municipal governments, organizations and institutions um, to do all kinds of things to improve the lives of Indigenous people, the relations between Indigenous people and the rest of Canada. And that's one of the things that I committed to doing today is really sitting down and looking at that report and looking carefully through it to see if there's anything that translates to an individual action that I could take myself, something that I could support, something that I could actually tangibly do. And it is really, it is there. If you sit down and go through the report, there are things that we can do, right? Supporting indigenous businesses is one thing. For instance, amplifying indigenous voices, that is um, also another thing, mm-hmm. so. One yeah. of the things my kids asked about doing, cause they were asking about things beyond beyond the shirt, right? So. Um, I mean, I was really happy we went down to um, the Council Fire store yesterday at the Indigenous Education Center on Dundas to get our shirts. And I was really happy to arrive and see a long, long line of people coming. And when we got there, there was people ahead of us who they got up there and they had asked for size large shirts and they were all out. And so they asked instead just to give the money to them to just donate it. If, you know, we were here to support, we can't get the shirt, but can we just give you the money? And the, the young woman who was there stepped back out inside and then came back out and said, yes, I guess we can do that. 
but it wasn't expected. It was, it was nice to see that someone was coming out, not just to get something tangible for themselves, but they did want to come and, and support, you know, mm-hmm. I was really happy to see that. And that was something you can do. You can support those businesses. You can support them downstairs and you can look for them, look for indigenous businesses in your own neighborhood. You might not even know they're there, but go looking. I, I, yesterday, when we were talking about buying shirts and all that, there was a mention by somebody about, oh, wearing that shirt is like a performative thing or whatever. And I really want us to, to think carefully of, about that because it isn't. I don't believe that it is. Buying a shirt from the council fire and then wearing that shirt is not performative. And I think that we're looking at this thing in the wrong way. When, when we go, like you did, Steph, down to the council fire or wherever and pay money, for a shirt that money goes to the community that created those shirts like that is their effort that is the work that they decided to do in order to raise this money to further their cause right and when you take that shirt and you wear it you have helped you have helped that cause and that's a good thing that's what that's the purpose of the work that's the purpose of the creation of the shirts thinking as you're back in your house and you're back in your life wearing that shirt and uh, you're thinking, well, that's it. That's all I've done. That, that is what adds to the idea of being performative. But you need to remember that the money that you gave is doing something. And wearing that shirt raises awareness. So other people are going to see you wear the shirt. People might ask questions. And you now have a platform to speak about the issues in front of you. So it's not performative. Do it. Do it. Do it right? Every little thing that you can think of doing, risk being performative and doing it any, do it anyway, because that money goes somewhere and it helps people, yeah, right? Have, to have those conversations. I think that that's, mm-hmm. if you can't donate or, or you feel like, like I want to do more than that, have the conversations, especially with those in your friends or your family group who don't know much. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not to say that you need to know everything, but just talk about what you did or didn't learn in school. Um, what you have experienced, if you have experienced anything with any anyone in the Indigenous community now, if you have any friends or and sharing their experiences, um, there's just there's so much that can be done. So just saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get involved. Like just put a little effort and to figure it out and figure it out for what makes sense for you. I'll be yeah. speaking with my kids about that this morning. The wearing their shirts to head off to school. Uh, well, my youngest to head off to school. Uh, we, I asked, you know, do you know why, why you're wearing an orange shirt? And we did, one of my kids who, who's in college went off on a full on tirade about um, <laughs> colonizers and stuff. I said, okay, I actually meant the actual orange shirt. Do you know why we're wearing an orange shirt? And my youngest was able to share the story of uh, Phyllis Webstat. So she um, is the young woman who, or a child, she was a child the day that her grandmother bought her a new outfit that she hadn't had before for her first day at her school and the first thing that happened on arrival is she was her clothing was removed and that Mm. shirt which she loved so desperately it was the first new thing she had had was ripped from her and not given back and it was the first time she remembered feeling like her life was not her own she was not worthy she was not she had no sense of worth and what she liked or didn't like had no place at that school. She was, it was taken from her. Um, she, she went on to grow into a wonderful young adult and 
thankfully have the opportunity to do healing, to get counseling, to get treatment, and then finally share her story. And it was her story that came out that drove the Orange Shirt Initiative forward. And I'm so thankful that she continues to share that story. If anyone wants more information about that story, I believe, oh, what is the website? I think what we'll, what I'll have to do is look up the exact website, but her website, which is, I believe it's called the Orange Shirt, but it's, I don't know exactly which one it is. We'll put it in the show notes, is all about the, the story. It is about the programs around the story that go to help others. So please do take a look at it. Look at the show notes when this is over and you can uh, find it a little bit more about that. And um, I also wanted to kind of deepen my thinking about this issue. And I was lying in bed last night thinking about this issue and about the um, all the Indigenous peoples across Canada and their history and their struggles and hardships and accomplishments and joys. And it led me to think about all the Indigenous peoples all over the world and all the struggles of all Indigenous peoples everywhere. And it led me to think about my own birth country, Jamaica. And Tanisha, I know that you have Caribbean roots and so do you, Debbie. And the Indigenous peoples of the Caribbean, I know can speak from Jamaica, the Taino people, they don't exist anymore on my island. I know that there are communities of Taino people in different islands in the Caribbean, but in Jamaica, they are, and they have been ex extinct for hundreds of years. And I lay there thinking about that last night and felt an incredible depth of sadness that there is no truth and reconciliation for so, so many groups of indigenous people all over the world. They simply don't exist anymore. They exist as folklore and like myth legend in Jamaica. We have images of those people on our national coat of arms, our name, the name Jamaica is descended from uh, the, that language. They're otherwise known as the Arawak people, but I think that they were properly called Taino. I actually don't even know for sure. They no longer exist. They were wiped out by the European explorers, quote unquote, explorers that arrived in Jamaica very, very quickly, wiped out by violence, aggression, and disease, and no longer exist. So there are groups of people all over the world, indigenous communities everywhere, for whom there is no truth and reconciliation ever. And it is a huge credit to the, um, the First Nations, Métis, and Inuit people of Canada they've done so much hard work to get what they have right now. And other places, I know that the um, indigenous people, the Aborigines in Australia, the uh, Maori in those places, they're still struggling. That all over the world, there are struggles. In South America, Central America, it's, it continues. So next week, when you're all sitting down to your turkey dinner, please, please also remember that. This is a part of it. Thanksgiving has a deeper meaning than, and I think it's very interesting that this day is placed just like two weeks before we all sit down 
and give thanks and be grateful for everything that we have. And most of the time, we never, never acknowledge the roots and the origins of this holiday that we celebrate. Yeah. And, and that is, if, if there's anything that we can do over the next little while for yourselves and with your children is to sit down and talk about what it is that we are actually being grateful for, what we're acknowledging and how that all started, what that came from. Yeah. So, and a yeah. lot, I know a lot of indigenous communities and people don't, don't acknowledge Thanksgiving. They don't no. acknowledge it at all. Um, a lot of them denounce it and rightfully so. I know for myself, from my family being from Trinidad and Tobago and, and Guyana, but I'll speak mainly from my Trinidad and Tobago side. When I went with my family before the pandemic to do a family reunion back in Trinidad, um, found out that a, like my grandmother's side is, I don't even know what percentage, but a, a, a high percentage of, of Arawak background. And they actually went to like a historical museum in one of the more remote towns in Trinidad to learn more. And they saw, you know, life drawings and wax figures of what they might've looked like. And they look like my family. They look like my family. There's, there actually is a quite a large Facebook group of Arawak um, and Tayuno, Tayuno peoples who still acknowledge and have some kind of connection to their, their roots in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, and so I've been starting to explore a little bit of that. Obviously I'm far, far removed from that, but I think acknowledging that there's a lot of indigenous people here in Canada who don't look indigenous. Um, you know, when, yeah. when, when the RCMP would ask indigenous people for their, their status card or what percentage of, of quote unquote Indian that they are, um, just like, just like with, within, you know, within the black community in slavery, there is a lot of contention around shadism and how much percentage you are, aren't, um, and you know, if you were treated better because you were lighter and all these kinds of different things, that's alive and well in the indigenous communities. Obviously I'm not speaking as someone who's part of that, but from what I've seen and been told. And so just being kind to folks who don't look indigenous, um, who are white passing or what have you, who really respect and honor their background and where their, their ancestry comes from, I think is really important as well. Yes, my sister, my sister, my brother looks indigenous. My sister does not. My sister is pale, 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 pale. She has green eyes like my dad. She does not look. And people, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, people have felt before comfortable saying things in front of her because they think that she is not indigenous. And boy, do you not want to be in the way of my sister and be dropping something like that? She has no filter, nor should she, but she also shouldn't have to cry afterwards. She shouldn't be made to feel like there is a darkness hovering around. And that darkness is ignorance. That darkness is, is, can kill her. Well, yeah. those beliefs can kill people. And they make you feel like you, you don't know who to trust. And so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fucking horrible, for lack of a better word. Fucking horrible. So there's a lot to consider today. Um, and I encourage everybody 
because Indigenous people don't exist only in Canada. For our American listeners, <laughs> y'all have a huge, huge Indigenous population and vibrant, diverse nations all over this continent. And I encourage everybody to dig deeper into what that means. How have you lived unconsciously of this? How and why have you lived unconsciously um, of the life and the history of the people who originated on the very land that your house is built on? Mm -hmm. Who was there first and how are they being treated now? So I just wanna close up this segment with a little quote from uh, the Honorable Murray Sinclair, who was the Chief Justice in charge of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, there are many, many amazing quotes attributed to this man. This one I think is really appropriate for today. We have described for you a mountain. We have shown you the path to the top. We call upon you to do the climbing. That's it. So. Thank you. May I just say the only person that I knew in did that was indigenous. And this is like, you remember Buffy St. Marie? She used to be on Sesame Street. <laughs> yes. Yes. Breast her baby on Sesame Street. That was the first, the first televised live breastfeeding scene on television was Buffy St. Marie. And there she you sat go. with Big Bird and talked about her baby. I loved Buffy St. Marie. And yeah. now she's like, now she's having a resurgence. Is, it, is that the word? Um, yep. Now she has an album or a book or something coming mm -hmm. out about her. But that was like the first yeah. woman that I knew because of Sesame yeah. Street. <laughs> yeah, Sesame Street was, did a lot of good things. All right. So um, as, you have, as you're all hearing, we've got some guests today and you might, Remember them? Do they sound familiar? Do they? I mean, we're always talking about them. I just not behind their backs either because they're both super fans and they both listen all the time. We have with us uh, the great Debbie Allen Ellie and the wonderful Tanisha Reed. <laughs> yes, here we are. So um, Tanisha just got married. I don't know if it's are you still reading? Are you going to be? I don't know if you're. I, what you're I haven't saying. decided. I think I'm keeping my name for now. <laughs> All right. So it's Tanisha reading for now. And um, now I'd like to do a little like formal check in with everybody and see how everybody is is doing. Um, let me ask you a question. So I'm going to do like a formal check in with everybody, including Stephanie. We've asked this question in different forms all during the pandemic. How has COVID affected your birth work? How has COVID affected the way that you deal with clients? Blah, blah, blah. But as we very cautiously, some of us more cautious than others, very cautiously move into the world outside of COVID. COVID's still here. We're not saying it's gone. Um, what's been changing? What have you noticed changing about your 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 birth work, your doula practice, and how's that making you feel? So Debbie wants to go first. Go, Debbie. Uh, I think maybe I'm like actually saying it out loud. Um, I don't know if I'm like the only one. Actually, I know I'm not the only one, but I haven't gotten vaccinated. 
I don't feel compelled to get vaccinated right now, um, but it has definitely, um, it has definitely uh, been against, worked against me. Um, new parents are just wanting vaxxed um, doulas. Um, the only thing is, is that before, like I was never asked, do you have your flu shot? Or do you have this? Or do you have that? And I'm just, everybody is just wanting a vax doula. And I, and I understand that. It's just, I just don't want, feel that I should have to go against my beliefs or my thoughts um, to just get money to start working again. Um, I'm sure I've, I was lucky Stephanie referred me to a client in Mississauga. And when I got there, they're like, are you vaxxed? I'm like, no. And they're like, oh, us either. Don't worry about it. We're good. You know, um, but I've gotten to clients where I go through a whole interview and they love it. They love me. I love them. Last question. Are you vaxxed? And I'm like, no. And they're like, sorry, we're looking for Vax. And so oh, if that's, that's a deal breaker. They should ask that at the beginning. Yeah, that should be. Okay. They should ask for it at the beginning. Be and other people that have been referring, been referred to me or like um, other doulas, I always say, they go, Debbie, are you free? And I was like, ask them first if they want Vax. Because I've been through too many interviews to just be like, no. Yeah, it's a waste of time. Right? It is a waste. So that's definitely that's definitely a, a a current thing. That wasn't. So we've been dealing with COVID for um, a year and a half. But the new the new uh, this thing about uh, are you vaxxed or unvaxxed and how that relates to your client work is absolutely that's a new that's a pretty new thing. Definitely. So you're seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, T? How about you, T? What's anything shifting for you? I was actually kind of hoping Kim would be here because um, I know that for a long time she was sharing based on her experiences that, you know, she's kind of moving out of birth work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I understand it, but just the, the, the blockade of doulas being out of the hospital in, in the pandemic early on really hit me. And I was just like, you know, maybe this is a time for me to pause and reflect and ask myself if, if birth work is the kind of doula that I want to be because obviously I went through the training and everyone's mindset is like if you're a doula it's only birth um and I love it and I'm, I'm great at it but I'm just thinking you know long term you know if I'm lucky enough to have my own kids I don't know how you guys did it I honestly don't know how you guys still do it with kids I don't know and I I, I applaud you and I I just I'm realizing that even though I'm saying to myself, this might not be for me if I have kids, doesn't mean that I'm incapable or, you know, a bad doula or something or just not working hard enough. I just, I just can't. Sometimes the idea of like having to maybe leave like my four month old to go take care of someone else's two month old is a little bit of a hard thing for me to grapple with as much as I know, like that person, that family needs help and support. And I want them to get that, but I don't know how willing I am to have to like scramble to find childcare to take care of someone else's child. Um, and that's just like been a hard and fast kind of conversation I've been having with myself, with my husband. 
Um, and so it's pivoted how my doula practice is gonna be moving forward. I'm gonna be launching something new soon, but um, yeah, this pandemic has definitely made me reflect on what is pandemic proof mean? Um, and what does long-term anything mean? Like you gotta be flexible. We have to be creative entrepreneurs as doulas as anybody as this pandemic has shown us. And it's not a bad thing. It's okay to, to evolve. Um, because I remember hearing Kim say that and I was just like, wow, like she's been doing this for so long. You know, she deserves to step out of this space. She's done her time. She's done her, you know, like that, that reaching of a certain level. And because I was questioning whether I wanted to con continue doing it, I was like, am I, am I privileged? Am I just like trying to, you know, the same thing with, with new doulas wanting to charge the same amount as, as more experienced doulas. Am I allowed? Is this okay? Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of been a conversation and something that I've been working on moving forward. Hmm. Of course you're allowed. The, the world is your oyster, but I get what you mean about people being, it, it being like, um, birth work is the only thing because when I became a doula that was it that was only birth work that was the focus and then I added postpartum and I thought I was being real slick adding postpartum mm -hmm. um now I'm realizing there is so much work to do yeah. in this space that the people supporting the people in labor that is one job and then it doesn't end there, as we now know, as we all know. It isn't just about being there doing the double hip squeeze and helping people get that first latch and then leaving. That is one aspect of this job. So no, it no, no. It starts way before that. It starts before that and it continues after that. Way after, yep. Yeah. It, that's just like the big juicy starring role is what it kind of feels like. But there's mm -hmm. so much to do in producing this whole show called as, life yeah as things yeah. change for you susan and stephanie oh sis stuff you want to go um okay so well if i'm gonna kind of start talking about the kind of thing that kim was talking about what has happened with me now that doulas are being allowed back in hospitals is i start to realize that i kind of don't want to go back in there mm i have thrived on virtual work during covid during 2020 and during 2021 yes wow. and so accepted a lot of clients um virtually with the option to go in person when things opened up more and now that they are opening up i'm feeling this like oh <laughs> i don't want to go <laughs> i don't want to go i don't want to go i don't want to go I'm, I'm finding that a real struggle. And so I am at that place where I'm starting to think to myself, maybe it is time for me to, I mean, I've been considering this for a long time and I have started doing other things, but starting to think more about stepping back from in-person birth work, the idea of doing an 18 hour birth on my feet at a hospital overnight fills me with dread. And I've, I didn't used to feel that. I did not used to feel that. And so I am looking at a possibility, so it's not definite, but the possibility of weaning <clears throat> from in-person birth support. So that's what's happened for me in the last little while. Yeah. <clears throat> Steph? Well, I am back in hospital full force. So. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Steph. Back 
and hospitals, home births. Uh, yeah, since things reopened, I've, I've been at the birth center, I've been at home births, and I've been at hospital. Now, it's how has it impacted my birth work? It has impacted my psychology around birth work. Oh, and so I recently reached out to Suzanne to see if she could back me up for births. And uh, and it was with a sense of, of overwhelm. Again, the, the going back in and doing the actual birth, I am fine with. Well, my body is not 100% fine with it. It is, <laughs> boy, my hamstrings. But um, as I'm getting closer to a birth, I'm finding I'm having the same anxieties I had when I first started, which was the chance of two people going together. And I only take two births a month. But the dread around those two things and the possibility of not attending somebody has been absolutely distracting. So for as much as many people, many duels I'm hearing are having that dread about stepping back into the birth work, I'm, I'm experiencing this whole new sense of concern that I will miss a birth, that I will not have a backup in place that's solid and it has been, that part is what I have to play with right now. This is what I have to journal on. This is what I have to write out. This is what I have to feel like every T is crossed and I is dotted. That is like what I'm carrying with me right now. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of wild. And also knowing that Suze is looking to wean out of this in-person work. Um, part of that work that I have to do is finding somebody who is in birth work, comfortably in birth work and willing to run back up as well. Or somebody who's looking to be a teacher, but is willing to do backup birth work, um, which is really the ideal. Like for many years, Kim and I ran it where she would do births on occasion, but she loved teaching. Like she loves, she still does, she loves teaching. Um, but she would run backup for me as births, uh, for births. And uh, that is not the case any longer because she's like you said, Tanisha, she, she's just not feeling that this is where she needs to be right now in birth work. So I am on for anybody who's listening in the Toronto area. If you are an experienced doula and looking to run back up for somebody else, please holler at me. My other I'm, back I'm always willing. I'm willing to run back up. I feel like doing backup is a, a nice transition it feels like an uh it feels like a good like transition move so yeah I'm willing to do backup I'm also willing to do in-person births for repeat clients I've had a couple of repeat clients yeah. approach me in the last few weeks and I would never say no to a repeat client so I'm willing to do repeat clients I'm willing to do backup um yeah so I'm not shutting the door completely yeah, yeah same. I, mean. I, mean, I would still do like close friends and what have you. And I know there's still so many amazing doulas in the GTA who would do backup or would take all the possible birds. I was listening to the Know Your Limit, Stay Within It episode about, you know, how many, I think that's the one where how many births or clients can you take on at a specific time? Um, and at one point that thrilled the crap out of me. I was like, yes, give me all of them all running around and be crazy. <laughs> um, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm just, getting older or I just have other priorities but it's just it just feels like I'm juggling a lot of balls in the air um mm -hmm. and you know some of us like juggling a lot of balls but I don't know how many I can juggle so it's just kind yeah. of like be be clear and but also realize that 
the, I thought I, my fear is that the more clear I get, which removes certain things means potentially less opportunity, right? Because you're getting yeah. more niche focused. Um, right. And so that kind of comes in with like your lack and scarcity mindset versus prosperity and abundance um, kind of thing. So there's like a lot of things that have been going on behind the scenes throughout this, I guess, second half of this pandemic in 2021. But I'm so grateful for people like you, Suze and, and Steph, who are still going to be full force helping because like when it's my turn, <laughs> uh, <laughs> on and Debbie for overnight. You're going to have to give birth at the, at the birth center so all of us can be there. <laughs> so it seems as if this is a season of evolution for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's the world is evolving, our society is evolving, and this industry that we're all in and that we all love and are passionate about is also evolving, and our individual business practices are evolving too. So, there you go. I wish everybody the best as they metamorphosize into whatever it is that you dream yourself to be. Right. So Debbie and Tanisha and I have. A connection, as most of you already know, like we talk about the Ontario Black Dual Society sometimes on this podcast, but the three of us are three of seven, seven. right? Seven. seven, yeah. Seven. Founders. Three of seven members who have founded the Ontario Black Dual Society. We founded that organization out of a feeling of isolation, like... I only knew white doulas when I started working. I didn't know that there were black doulas, uh, Asian doulas or anything. I just thought like I was the only one. And I was used to that. So I didn't go, I didn't question it because so many times in my life, I'm the only one. I'm the one little brown walnut in the room. And I was used to that. So I didn't question it. Then I realized that that wasn't true. And my gosh, my heart did a little leap. What? So anyways, the Ontario Black Dual Society has formed. The organization is, uh, our intention is to be here for doulas, to support doulas in the work that we do through training, through education, et cetera, et cetera. And we thought that we would have Debbie and Tanisha on, not just me, you guys hear me blabbing on all the time, but to hear other voices from the Ontario Black Dual Society, everybody else was busy doing their thing. Um, but Tanisha and Debbie graciously um, agreed to come on the show today to speak to us about um, the stuff that we do, the work it's that we do. O'clock. It's one o'clock. Somebody's somebody's oh, clock. <laughs> it's one o'clock. Do you know where Sorry. your doula is? <laughs> okay. Sorry. That, we could make that that could be the title of the episode kim <laughs> it's one o'clock <laughs> you know where your doula is oh my gosh I just got it. <laughs> so De- Debbie, uh, stephanie's stephanie's got some questions that she's going to ask us and i'm going to let you two kind of lead the charge on the, i'll jump in if i have something to say but i'll let you two lead the uh the answers to steph's uh, questions so, Seth, take it away. You, you're the Barbara Walters of this show right now. Oh, good, good God. No pressure or anything. Actually, what I was wondering <laughs> about, because I don't actually know, is, Suze, I know because I know you, how much you had talked about creating this type of community, wanting to be part of this type of community, a community 
of other black doulas or really non-white doulas um, who could support one another and and but how did it actually happen like you mentioned meeting finding out that you were not the only black doula in toronto <laughs> Um, so how did it actually come to be? Well, from um, my perspective, um, I don't know if it was just before or just after, but a number of us are part of this very large Facebook group called um, Black Toronto Business Community or something. It's a long name, but there's like tens of thousands of folks in there. <clears throat> and somebody had posted any, any Black doulas. And this was like in April of 2020. And I was flabbergasted at the amount of comments. It was like, 40, 50, 60 comments of, of all these other black doulas in the GTA. And I was like, I had no idea. And again, from the training, um, I saw being a doula as it's your own individual silo, your own business. We're not really all about like this, you know, community type of thing. So it never crossed my mind to start a collective. I didn't even really know what that was until I met, you know, you guys. Um, it was always individual to me. And so when I saw that, I was like, wait, holy crap, there's a lot more black doulas. Is there a way to connect with them? And because of yourself, Steph and Kim, you guys introduced me to Suzanne and Suzanne introduced me to Debbie because uh, Suzanne was kind of mentoring Debbie and I it was another woman of color, another black woman. And it was this, for me, this little group of three of us that through mostly Suzanne with, with your wide network, other amazing folks and doulas starting to come in and being like, hey, yeah, we also want to be supported by each other. The catalyst I feel was our call in and call out to the AOD, the Ontario Association of Doulas, um, with regard to, you know, talking talks about policy or like just vision planning for the future of doulas in Ontario, all doulas, that did not include all doulas. Um, because of a lack of reaching out to all doulas um, and understanding their unique perspectives and their businesses and their communities and, and backgrounds and everything. And so that call out from the group of us that all came together um, really catapulted us trying to create something um, more, more uh, with substance um, and impact. So that's for my, my, my recollection. And it's been it's been a lot of evolution, a lot of change, but the thing that has always constantly been there, at least for me, has been the, the support of all seven of us together. Yep. Um, Deb, do you have any different perspective to add about how things got started for us? I think it was just the same thing. I know it was a, a different doula who was like starting the Ontario birth workers kind of thing. And, um, and like Tanisha said, that never knew about having a collective and things like that. Um, so I think we were definitely needed. We were definitely needed when we met each other because we go through the same kind of uh, of issues. Um, we go through the same kind of questions. And a lot of times you couldn't go or you didn't feel comfortable asking a non-Black doula some questions. Um, I didn't see myself represented in the community. 
Um, I couldn't see, I didn't see my face. And so coming together with the other four amazing, amazing um, doulas, I think it just, uh, it made me realize that we're needed, we're necessary. And um, there is a bunch of us out there. We just didn't know it. Um, I remember once going into a birth and I had a black mother, uh, a black uh, birther, and they thought I was her aunt or her mom or something. It wasn't, it didn't, like the first thing they say, it couldn't have been a doula. I couldn't be a doula. I had to have been a parent or related to family member. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, maybe like on the other side, if, I mean, maybe I could have advocated more as a family member because we're not supposed to be talking to the staff. We talk to the, the client and have them speak to them. So like on the other side, it was kind of like, well, she doesn't want this or she doesn't want that, you know, but it's hard. It's hard to me. It, it kind of like broke or put a hole in my spirit for that moment that I couldn't be a professional. Wow, that and, is heavy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I wanted to say was what I remember when I think back about our origin story, uh, that it started, we all were birth workers, but originally it was just support, getting together once a week to support each other through our days during the, during like the hardcore tight lockdown when nobody was going anywhere except to the grocery store. And we were just all like, and I wasn't teaching, I wasn't doing anything, just like crocheting and watching Netflix all day. And so we got together to support us through our days. And in case you don't know, this might be news to you, Stephanie, but when a bunch of black women get together, we always end up talking about white people. (laughs) Get out of town. We do, we do. Um, because now finally you have a forum to vent about experiences that you might have gone through, uh, things that you've noticed, things that you've observed, and just finally realizing that you're not the only one, um, loosens your tongue. And so you start talking about that and you start, we started talking about, well, why should it be this way? Why is it this way? And why should it be this way? And it doesn't have to be this way. And how can we change things? And that is how the ideas started to be born. And and that's how we kind of started putting things together. Um, We all knew of the AOD. Most of us were members in some way. So that was like our first united front was calling in the AOD and saying, hey, listen, we're we're here, but we're not here. We're here, but we're not being represented. So how can you move forward? in the future, with the future of birth work in this province without consulting all of us in some kind of way. Um, So that was our first initial uh, task, I guess you could say. And uh, we've kind of evolved uh, from there. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you that that letter was so impactful. And Every time we had a meeting after that, whether no matter what we were addressing, there was this one line that you all shared 
in that letter. And it was, don't do anything about us without us. And mm -hmm. every time something comes up where we're about to, we're talking about something that will require a decision in my head. I'm like, I, I always, you know, raise my hand at a meeting. It's like, don't do anything about us without us. We need to look at this from another perspective. Um, and they gave us the perspective to look at it from. So, so let's just, let's just, you know, circle back, circle back. And I, I tell you that that has stayed with me, not only about the OBDS, but some, when I'm making decisions in my life that involve other people in my family, because I am notorious for making decisions <laughs> without considering other people in my family, um, because I believe they will be in the best interest of everyone. And it's like, oh, fuck, that fucking letter. It, it stuck. They stuck with me. Um, so that was your first core thing. And that was no small thing. Uh, that that pond, that you know pebble in the pond rippled so far and wide. The um, that was your primary task, your primary statement. What is the OBDS working on now? What are the things that you have for goals over the next little bit? I think we are right now. We are trying to do. Uh, anti-racist uh, kind of training. Am I correct, ladies? Yeah? Yes, we, we, there's, a, there's a course that's been created. So much work has been put into it by so many of the uh, amazing members, the anti-racist birth worker um, uh, training that we have. And uh, it's not, it's not, we're not quite ready to launch it yet, but it's, it's in the works. That's one of the things, but I think that a lot of what we're doing is establishing ourselves as an organization. I don't think anybody realized how much work there is opening bank accounts and blah, 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 getting important people on board and doing all the official things. Are we a nonprofit? Are we a this? Are we a that? And defining ourselves legally and um, structurally, organizationally, I think that's taken up way more time than anybody ever imagined that it would. We thought we would just like, well, I did. I'll speak mm -hmm. for myself. I thought we'd just like jump in and start doing the things. Yep. Not, not realizing that there's, there's some formalities involved. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't want to go on without giving shout out to the rest of the team. Have Gabrielle, yes, yes, yes. That's great. Gabrielle Griffin. Griffin. I have Stacia. What, what's Stuart? Stuart. Stuart. Oh, Stacia Stewart. Jordan Gibson. Jess Bloomfield, and um, that's a, and plus us three. Jess. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will say, you know, while, while we are working on the programming and obviously the structuring of us as an organization, um, you know, we have some amazing members who really keep us focused. And we have, uh, I feel like a mantra of full transparency and, and, you know, support, but also tough love, which is really important. But also while we're doing that work, because sometimes it can feel like you're not doing anything when you're doing all of that. So in the meantime, we have done social support circles for other Black doulas, uh -huh. monthly come together and just figure out where we are. We check in and offer support on specific topics. We've also done really amazing um, care conversation panels with, with other Black professionals in the birth space, which has been 
just so amazing and excited to get those back up and going. Um, I think amazing. I, I think a realization I've had for myself is that it's, it's, it can be hard when you're still going through the growing pains of, of, of creating an organization. And, you know, you had this idea that, you know, we would just jump right in like yourself, like you said, Suzanne, mm-hmm. and then you have all these other things tethering you back down to the ground to make sure that the foundation is, is set, that it feels sometimes like we're not doing enough. Um, when I really reflect on it, it's the act of even just coming together and creating a space that in itself can sometimes be enough. Um, and we won't see sometimes it's like, it's like doula work. You won't see the fruits of your labor sometimes until years down the line, right? You, you, you don't get yes. to see kid grow up and see how maybe that birth experience that you were at, how it positively, hopefully impacted the parents. You won't get to see those things. And I think I've gotten some resilience as being a doula because of that, right? Cause we've seen all of those, I guess, missed moments. Um, but it's given me resilience to know that we have to keep trekking on. And even if the vision changes, the mission is still the same. Even if the goals change, the mission is, is still the same. The values that we've created care uh, are, is our values stays the same. So yeah. I just so grateful what for the that people mission? that I've learned from. Sorry? What, what would you say that, what is that mission? Ooh, big well, question. we have like a formal, a formal mission statement, but I think it's kind of different for every every one of us. Do you guys want to go individually, and I'll pull that up? Well, I one of the things that I wanted to say before I get into that is that what what I never what I didn't consider before is that we are we are together the Ontario Black Dual Society, but every single one of us has our own individual. Uh, businesses, individual birth practices that we're all trying to manage. Never mind lives, families, partners, children, never mind that, but we're all trying to uh, do the work, do the actual work, and then come together to do OBDS stuff. And um, that's, that's an aspect that I didn't consider originally. But our mission, for me, the mission of the OBDS like we do have a formal mission statement that I can't remember the exact words right now, but it is care for each other, care for the doulas. Initially in this province, centering the Black doula experience, but um, not only the Black doula experience, but centering the Black doula experience. And it is care in any way that that can manifest itself at the moment. We are focused on education and training, but also support. And again, that can evolve as years, the years go by. But to me, the core of our mission is care, care for each other. Mm-hmm. I, I love that because I saw that you all took a rest in August. <laughs> yeah, or a rest, a rest took us. The rest, the necessity of the rest showed up and there was no denying that necessity. Except for Tanisha, I don't think you did much rest in August because you were wedding planning and getting married. Yeah. Yeah. But the rest, like that requirement for that rest came, I imagine, you know, you, all of you have touched on the intensity of building that foundation. I imagine everybody must have just hit some sort of a hurdle at one point and said we actually choose not to go over this hurdle right now we choose rest because yeah 
Yeah, it like uh, as soon as I saw that, I thought, huh, you know, we're allowed to do that. People are allowed mm -hmm. to rest. Yeah. You are allowed. Like you are allowed. It is, it should be a requirement. It should be, mm -hmm. and it shouldn't even be a thought. It should be, oh yes, we've all hit this wall. It absolutely makes sense to close our eyes and find some peace. Mm -hmm. And that's one of what that has been one of the, the amazing things of the about the OBDS too is the recognition of all of that, not just diversity in people, diversity in birth workers, but diversity in our individual lives. Um, some of us are students, some of us are parents, some of us have issues with family members, sick family men members in different ways. Some of us are, um, you know, planning weddings. Like we're, we're, we have diversity within our own lives and that, that it needs to be acknowledged that sometimes it's a heavy weight to carry. And sometimes you need to put it down and just chill for a minute, take a breather before you can pick everything back up. Um, I, I love that because I admire core values you can share, Tanisha. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Did you wanna do that? Sure. Mm -hmm. um, so the core values, just so everyone knows, they, the acronym spells care. Um, so yeah. C is cultural competence, which we know is, is, is so important and relevant. And obviously as folks from the diaspora, we come from many different cultures, but we really wanna make sure that at least from a Canadian context, cultural competence is number one. Authenticity, people, people can smell that, you know what, really, really easily. And so making sure that we stay authentic with our voice, with our mission and what we're doing is important. Respect one another, the work, uh, and the community and exploration, equity and expansion is all within the E in the care um, because those are ever everlasting projects that we hold each other accountable to. So those are our core values. Yeah, those are the official core values. Excellent, thank you for looking that up, T. What Perfect. are the biggest, so we know what the goals are and the mission and the core values. What are the biggest, obviously the individuality of all of the members of the I was going to say the AOD, but it's not the AOD, it's the OBDS. My apologies, I am a member of the AOD. Um, but um, what are the biggest challenges you guys are facing right now? What are, what are the hurdles that uh, are kind of getting in the way of the work that you guys are trying to, with such passion, to, to get through? Uh, I, I think it, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Debbie. I was just going to say, I think it's just the, 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 little thing well I shouldn't say little things but it's like trying to get a board together try to get our bylaws together those little intricacies intricacies yes and um so it's those things like we want to get out there we want to do it and we have been but it's just those little things that we have to work on and that's what we are coming to do that's now we're back on on the road back trying to get together and do what we need to do but that's that's my point of view i don't know you you other ladies what do you think i would say that just just to simplify it it's it's the, tr the honest and true fact that this is all volunteer run and we all have lives and businesses and things to take care of and so that takes it takes so much more energy and effort 
even though it's close to our hearts, even though we know this work is important, it's really, it can be really difficult to show up um, with the same level of passion all the time. It's been almost time. two, it's almost two years, right? Yeah. And yeah. we're living in a pandemic and we're constantly living with oppression and just different microaggressions every single day. Um, and we're not getting paid for this. So it's just, I think I would say just to simplify it, it's all of those things. And then obviously everyone's own individual blockages or mindset things. Um, and also the fact that we're a group of seven and it's not always easy to make sure that we're all aligned on all things at all times. Um, and that's just being real, right? That's, that's, that, that's why we have or need a board, a board of directors, advisors, consultants, mentorship for ourselves as well. Like there's a, so much more that goes into forming a proper, a properly well-oiled machine of an organization as opposed to just like a support group or just a social type of group, which I think a lot of us kind of thought of in the beginning. Um, and then, you know, once we get, we've gone down into the nitty gritty, we're like, no, this is, this is a lot more and it's, it's important, it's great. And we're seeking the support of those people and those resources, but it takes time. Um, which is why I'm so grateful that we do have events and workshops and things like that for the community in the meantime. But I think the next step for us is to keep our founding members as they are, but we need help. We need volunteers. We need other people on board to help us move this mission along. It can't just be the seven of us and then people just showing up to say rah rah. We need people helping us dig in the trenches and, and make it happen. Uh -huh. As a Suzanne, did you want to add to that? Oh no, that was perfect and <laughs> thorough. Loving it. So yeah. let me ask then, as a non-black doula, how can other doulas in the community, non-black doulas in the community, how can we help? How can we be of service to you? How can we support the OBDS? Can I say something really quickly? I, I saw a, a, an influencer that I love. She's an amazing black woman entrepreneur and how she asks for help is for people to speak her name in rooms where there are opportunities. When she's mm -hmm. not there, speak her name, speak our name, you know, whatever you can do to share the mic, right? Because a lot of the times oppressed folks don't have the opportunity to share their voice, their story, their offerings, what have you. So a lot of people who have that privilege or have that stage space, that mic, if you can pass over the mic to us in some kind of way to offer those opportunities, even if it's just in collaboration. It doesn't mean that you have to pass up an opportunity for yourself and give it to us. We're not looking for a handout. But if you can share that awesomeness with us, that would be awesome. And so whether that's, you know, speaking our name to, you know, I don't know, medical staff or, um, you know, higher ups in midwifery organizations, or even just referring us um, to other doulas and clients. Anything helps um, in that space. I love that. Speak our name in yep. places where our names are not being spoken. Perfect. Yep. Um, there are good anti-racist training, anti-oppression trainings available out there. My suggestion, recommend recommendation would be for um, uh, non-black doulas, white doulas to look some of those things up, to educate yourself and to dive into the work, to see where it is you're putting your feet and where you shouldn't be putting your feet 
and where you should be and so on. Educate yourself and, and get involved in the nitty gritty in, diff- in lots of different ways. And there, all those ways are out there, honestly. There really is. Uh, I, you could, if you Google literally anything, answers will come up. How can I help black doulas? <laughs> How can I help black people in their struggle for equality or liberation? Google it and you'll see, you'll see exactly like so many suggestions that you can go through. Just like I mentioned, go through the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, 93 calls to action. Go through them step-by-step and see which one of them speaks to you. See if you can get involved. See if you can volunteer. Can you give money? Can you donate time, energy, whatever? All of those things are needed and necessary. Mm -hmm. I had a doula that um, would give me clients, well, not give me clients, but I would get clients from her. And um, obviously, you know, she takes a little bit of the money. But then after that, when I referred a client to her, I got nothing. You know, Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like, you know, and I don't, and I feel a way, even though I shouldn't, to go to her and go, "Um, don't you think you should like, kind of like grease my palm? Yeah, that's the word. Yeah. And, and I didn't, I don't know. I just didn't feel I had. She valued your work. Pardon me. That she valued you and your work. Exactly. The way that she valued her own. Right. Exactly. And, um, I just, I would just love if just people were like, you know, you need an overtime, uh, overnight doula. Here's Debbie. You know, and I, I've had a few of them have done that. I just would like more. And I think this pandemic, I was like starting, gonna do my website and all this kind of stuff. And I stopped doing it because I just feel so discouraged. And especially in this time and the whole vaccine kind of thing. And um, honestly, and I've been down, I've been sad, I've been um, lonely, I've been broke, (laughs) you know, and it's hard. It's really hard to reach out to a group of doulas where they're mostly white to say, hey, anybody out there can help me, you know? So I just think as the, as Tanisha said, you know, say our name, say my name, you know, get it out there. Everybody wants referrals. So, yeah. So maybe a good lesson from that is that people need to be cognizant of how they're collaborating and how they're interacting with individual uh, duels of color, like not to take advantage of uh, folks and to value everybody's work at the same level that they value their own. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that should there shouldn't even have to be an ask. There's already an understanding, in particular in that situation, that if there is a a referral fee one way, there is a referral fee the other. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there is yeah. not. Yeah. There should not be an ask there. It's not a one way street. Can I right. can I offer something that's a little maybe hopefully empowering? Um, do. So again, going back to this woman that I mentioned that said, "Speak my name and opportunities." Her name is Vivian K. Um, so follow her on Instagram. She's awesome. But she also has this, this saying, and maybe you've heard of it. What would Chad do? 
Have you guys heard that? What would, what would oh, Chad no. do? So Chad is this, fig- this is all her work. I'm take, not taking any credit for it, but Chad is this, the uh, archetype of the white male who has no place going into certain spaces, jobs, what have you, and asking for things simply because he wants to. He has the chadosity, the audacity to just do it. <laughs> and a lot of the time, more often than not, because I feel like we've all seen people who like, wait, how did they get that job? Or how are they doing that? Maybe they know the right people. Maybe they worked hard. But a lot of the time, it's also that they just had the gusto to go for it and then figure it out as they go along, right? It's the same thing with the, you know younger duos or newer duos charging the same worth as more experienced duos. They have the audacity, they know their worth, they're gonna go do it and that's it. And so in the case for you, Debbie, or anybody, I have had to learn that asking for help is not a weakness, it's a strength. And mm-hmm. being able to just go anywhere and be like, hey, I'm available for X, Y, and Z. If you know anyone, I'm here. And just maybe even just putting that on some kind of a Facebook group or whatever and not feeling any ways about it because you, we as doulas, as, as women or identif- women identifying as black women, we need to have the chadosity, the audacity mm-hmm. to just make room and put ourselves in those places. And it's as simple as that. It's not as easy. Mm-hmm. It's not always going to work, but it can be love. as simple as that. Love. I love that too. And that is what the OBDS is doing. We are taking the chadosity mm-hmm. and is that how you say it? We're, yeah. we, we have the chadosity to create this space for ourselves. And that's what I love about us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna look that up, Vivian K. You know, Stephanie, one thing about our circles um, that we um, had over the past few months, we had a male black doula that was in our group and that was something new and exciting to talk to him too i would imagine yeah Yeah. everybody we are uh at an hour and a half so we need to wrap up this amazing discussion then let me ask Um, one more question there was one one more question and then we're saying goodbye where do what is you, it? Just in short, where do all of you want to see the OBDS in five years? What is the OBDS to the community in five years? Mm. Give me your biggest, most beautiful site, vision, mission. What do we think? Uh, in my mind, I'm thinking that when um, a person in my mind, I'm picturing like a young, youngish, then again, everybody's young to me these days, um, a youngish new doula who, or somebody who's considering birth work, doula work, that when they say, hmm, I wonder if that's for me, that the OBDS comes to their mind. Like that automatically, like they know who we are and we are established enough to be the place to go for information, for education, for training, for resources, for support. And that's what I can imagine somebody saying, I wonder if that would be something I'd be interested in. And then somebody else saying to them, well, you should just go to the OBS and find out. And that is where they will be able to discern whether or not this is their career path or not. And this is where they can get their training. This is where they can get their resources and support. That's what I'd like to see. 
Yeah. I love that. And this is reminding me of, I think last year this time, when we all met in person for the first time, because mind you folks, we had yeah. only, we've only met in person once. One time. Since yeah. our inception. Um, Actually twice. Have we? We went to Spacious. Oh, no, that, that was, was the one time I'm thinking time. about. What other okay, we time was there? Oh, we did our pictures. We did a photo shoot. Yes. We did our pictures and then after we went and then station. Yeah. Okay. So one and a half times because I was outside and it was short. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time that we were together at Stacia's, we had a, a, a dream session, I think. And we yeah. all talked about what we envisioned. And it was just such a breath of fresh air. We're so uplifted. We all left so positive. And, and I think that that is the feeling that I try to get back every time when I'm feeling a little bit down or like, oh, we're not moving fast enough or what have you. It's like, this is a long game um, and we have a lot of work to do, but man, do we have some great support like yourself, Steph and other folks, and we have a great team. So there's, I don't know, I guess what the goal is. The goal is for me is to have a space that people can go to, like Suzanne said, and just feel fully supported top to bottom, beginning to end. Um, but that might change. It might, we might even get that, it might even get bigger than that. It might be a national thing, who knows, but there's- <gasps> what, if, what if there was a building, like an actual place that people could go? <gasps> a black birthing center or something. And I don't know. That's it. That was what I was gonna say, or a maternity home or something. Yes, wow. yes. Wow. Wow. Any billionaires out there? Please, hear, mm -hmm. our, hear our please. Yeah. What's our website? Or what's our uh, email address? Hello at blackdoulas.ca. There you go. If you want to donate or want to use us or talk with us, reach out. We'd yes, love yeah. it. Instagram is um, Ontario Black Doulas. Um, so just stay connected with us and we'd love to have you. Do we not also have the Ontario Black Doulas at Gmail? Yes. Well. We have that one. <laughs> That's another email address. So yes. yeah, follow us. Follow please. us. Please, please do. Mm -hmm. Donate. Yes. We have listeners from all over North America. If other groups of Black Doulas are looking to do the same thing, can they also contact you maybe for a little leadership? 100%. Awesome. The more the merrier, the more collaboration, the better. So yes, please do. Thank you guys for coming on again. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for, for having, having us. You. There was so little swearing in this episode. <laughs> I know. Yay. Well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's because Tim wasn't here. <laughs> no, it's because you guys are so very not non-sweary. <laughs> that's a lie <laughs> girls halo less less sweary <laughs> now all people have to do is what do they do have to do subscribe rate and review rate, rate review and subscribe that's kim's last line always at the end of the show so since she's not here we will do it for her please if you enjoy this episode and if you enjoy hearing anything else about the pragmatic bills please do feel free to rate review and subscribe that is the best way to um to get our voices heard and to improve our our numbers and to encourage us to keep going frankly so we need thank you, you so for much for having us you're welcome thank you guys for being here and uh we'll see everybody we'll talk again next week bye Take care. bye, bye.